0: Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. I want everybody this morning to say amen. 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 Say glory. Say hallelujah. All right, now that you know you can say that, you can repeat that during the message, okay? I just want to make sure everybody gets that. If you would, please turn your Bible this morning. We're going to be in 1 Samuel. We need to understand and recognize the situation we're in. We're at war, we are at absolute war. We are at spiritual warfare. We find the church in America being attacked like never before. We have a spirit of apathy that has ran rampant. We have a spirit of indifference that has ran rampant, and we're at war. I see more Christians walking around defeated and and down and out and battered. I see churches being battered. I see pastors being battered. I see all these different things, and it's because we fail to recognize our situation. We, We think that we're winning when rally we're losing. I will go ahead and tell you the war has been won, but the battle is far from being over. Amen? it's about time we recognize our situation. And so when I come to our text this morning, I realize our situation. If we are going to win the battle of this generation, the good Lord may come tonight, but if he tarries, if we're going to win the battle for this generation, for our generation, for this time, we must recognize the situation at hand. We must recognize that we need to get behind the word of God. We need to learn to be people of the word. We need to once again be people of prayer. And we need to learn once again what it's like to use the altar. We need to get on our knees. We need to break down idols that are in our life and rebuild the altar of our heart to God. And so we come into our text in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verses 1 through 14. I'm going to open with verses 1 through 2 and then I'm going to focus on the next several verses. But if you're there this morning, say amen. It says, And the men of Kirjath Jerem came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day the ark was lodged into Kirjath Jerem, a long time passed, some 20 years, and the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Let's pray. God, we come before you. God, we seek your face. God, it's really not important who I am this morning. God, in the most recent song, or one of the most recent songs of casting crowns, they say it right, that I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about a somebody who saved my soul. God, this is not Josh's church. This is not my church. This is your church. This is your people. And God, right now, your people need to be revived. God, your your spirit, may it fall down upon us today. May he overbear us. God, revive us today. God, we can't schedule revival, but we can seek you. And if we're going to have revival, God, we need to recognize the situation. And so you speak today. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. The stage was set, but no activity was had. The stage was set, but no activity was had. God had, if you go back into the past and you look over the chapters leading up to 1 Samuel chapter 7 and where we're at, and chapters 4, 5, and 6, you really, I'm going to condense these chapters. What you find is Israel going against the Philistines. They go against the Philistines once, they lose the battle. The Bible says that the Philistines beat the Israelites, they had lost. The Israelites come back and say, Why has the Lord defeated us? And so they say, Well, I'll tell you what, what we're going to do is we're going to take the ark and, and the and the And priest there Eli took his two sons and said y'all gonna take the ark and take it to war with you so they take the ark they take it to war with them the Philistines beat them a second time and decide to take the ark of the covenant and so the Philistines over about a seven month period have the Ark of the Covenant with them in their possessions. The first time they say, well, we're going to take this Ark and we're going to put it in the house of our God. In other words, we're going to show that our God Dagon is far better than the God of the Israelites. And they put him in there. Well, the first time they come in, the first day they come in, no Lord Dagon, he's laying face first on the ground. And they say, well, that's not cool. That can't happen again. And so they pick Dagon up and they put Dagon, they put Dagon back up on his little pedestal wherever he was at. And that's normally what what we try to do is we try to put our gods up on a pedestal above God, and so we sit there, and they come in the second day, and poor Dagon had his hands chopped off, his head chopped off, and his torso just laying there on the ground, everything spread out. They said we can't handle this, so we're gonna send this. We're gonna send this ark somewhere else. So they sent it to the Gad, and then they, they sent it, it from Gad to Ekron and several other places, and the whole, every time they go to a different city over the seven-month period, we got, they, they get these tumors on them, and they got mice going everywhere, and they say, look, we cannot deal with this. We can't fight with this. We just, what are we going to do about this? So they go to the Lord of the Philistines, and the Lord of the Philistines say, well, I'll tell you what. You will get yourself two milk cows, you put it on that cart, and you send it down the road. If the two milk cows go back go back to, to, to Beth Shemesh, then, then we know it's God. But if it, if it goes somewhere else, then we know it's just having my chance. Well, sure enough, it goes straight down the road. Ends up in the field of Abinadab. And what we find in verse 1 and 2 is the people were there. The people were there. Because all that was needed for revival was there. For Israel to be rejuvenated. For Israel to finally feel the presence of God, it was all there. The people were there. The men of kirjath Jerem were there. The men of God were there. They, in fact, they even consecrated a priest, we find. it. Abed- Abinadab took his son, Eleazar, and he consecrated him to be the priest. And even the presence of God was there. The Ark of the Covenant was there. If you remember the Ark of the Covenant was really the very presence of God. It was the Shekinah glory where those two cherubims came in that mercy seat. It was literally the presence of God. And yet we find, though, for 20 years, the people lamented. The people were there. The man of God was there. God himself was there. Look, brothers and sisters, I'm not old enough to have seen a revival. I've seen some good experiences. I've seen God move. I've seen several people come to the altar during a group of meetings But I don't think we've seen a revival in this country in over 100 years. Brothers and sisters, I want us to see revival. I want it to be such a way where God shows up in such a way you can't help but say God was there. And it's not going to come by us planning it out. I'm just going to let you know now. You can't set up a date and say, well, September the 11th, we're going to have revival. That's not how it happens. What happens is, is the men of God, the women of God, the people of God start getting on their knees before God and things start happening at that point. Amen? And what we find here is for 20 solid years, the man was there, the people were there, and God was there, and yet they still lamented. Despite all that was needed being there, revival was not there. Revival was not there. The people of God lamented. They found themselves in, in gut-churning anguish due to the condition of their situation. They were begging God to do something, and yet nothing was changing. I look at our churches today in America, and I see God in a lot of the churches. I see the people there. I know the man of God's there, and yet I see no movement across the board. And why? Because the people of God aren't doing what God has called his people to do it says if my people are called by my name shall humble themselves repent of their sin pray and seek my face I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land when is the last time church you came to the altar I don't know anything about you I'm just asking when Josh called me up he said he said man I just want you to come and speak I said what do you want me to speak on he said just let God lead you I said sounds great to me when is the last time this altar has been full when is the last time you broke before God and said, God, I realize I'm a wretched soul that I need you? That I've messed up, that I've jacked everything up, that I tried to be in control, and me being in control messed everything up, God. We can't blame God for, for revival not taking place. If we want revival to take place, church, it's going to come when the Spirit, when the people of God get before God Himself the way God has called us to do it. Everything was there. And yet revival was not there. All the pieces are in play, but there's no activity. God refuses to move, but why? What, are they, what were they missing? What are we missing? If God was there, his man was there, and his people were there, what was missing? The self same need for the church of God today. Repentance. Repentance. The missing piece was repentance. In verse 3 of 1 Samuel 7, it says, And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are turning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away those foreign gods, and the Asherahs among you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines." The key for God to move within the nation of Israel, if you are are going to return to the Lord with all your heart, is the same key that we need for revival today as individuals, as in a church. We need revival, but we need repentance to see that revival. We need repentance to see that revival. We find within our text that revival is conditional. Revival is conditional, church. It's not just, well, I think we're going to have revival and it's done with it. It is conditional. Samuel says, if you, if you come back to the Lord. In other words, there's potential for you not to even do it. How many of us this morning are playing church rather than being the church? How many of us are playing Christian rather than being Christian? How many of us are playing repentant rather than genuinely being repentant? You cannot just schedule a couple of Sunday services or a couple of week-long services and expect revival. You can't schedule it. It is very much conditional, as I said before. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. The reason our churches today aren't seeing revival is because people aren't being God's people. We're being the world's people. We're doing it our way rather than God's way, and as we look through the Scripture, we find a biblical picture of what repentance entails and what it truly means. The first thing we find is within repentance we find that uh, that we find a return to God. We find a return to God, returning unto the Lord. We, 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 we turn to God with our whole being, with our all, whole heart. And let's learn to seek God while he may be found. Isaiah 55 and 5 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. James 4 and 8 says, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. We have to find a return to God. In other words, we, stop, we, 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 we do an about-face from the world. Amen? I mean, I, I, y'all, y'all don't know this. I'm going through a, a, an extreme right now, an extreme problem in weight loss. I really am. Y'all look at me and you're like, you've lost weight? I kid you not. That's my, one of my favorite sayings, by the way, okay? 84 pounds since February the 7th, praise God. No, don't clap, don't clap. It's hard. I love Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, I do. My daughter and I the other day were going through the store. In fact, it was yesterday. We were going through to get some little snacks. We are at the hotel room last night. I walked by the Dollar General store. There was a bag of Reese's peanut butter. Covered my head. Went right just like that right there. My daughter cut. She said, don't look at them. I said, I wasn't. And I said, I can't lie. I did. That's the problem. Is we've all got these sins in our life. We've all got sins of pride. We've got sins of addictions. We've got whatever it is that's keeping us from God. And we want to sit here and we want to keep giving in to those temptations over and over again. And we don't want to repent. And it's okay for the preacher to talk about everybody else's sin but leave my sin alone. Amen? But we've got to repent. In other words, do an about-face. Turn away from what's there and seek God. Within repentance, we find a removal of idols. A removal of idols, then put away those foreign gods and asteroids from among you. What's your idol this morning, church? What's your idol? What is it that you got between you and God? Is it family? Is it an addiction? Is it pride? Is it ego? Is it money? Is it a job? What is it this morning that is separating from you and God. The They had they had the Asherahs, they had Bell, they were doing the, they were doing the infant the, the, the infant uh, um, sacrifices, they were doing all these different things. But what is it that is keeping you from having a genuine heartfelt repentant relationship with God this morning? And you say, well, preacher, I don't, I'm not on drugs. I'm not drinking. I don't got this addiction. That's fine. You don't have to have that. But I'm almost, I'm almost certain that in a room this full, there's a bunch of us around here that got things in our life that we're putting between us and God. And if that thing in your life is more important than God, guess what? That thing is your idol. How many of us need to have idols we need to remove from our life? And that's hard. That's hard, but Jesus says, you know what? I would rather you pluck out an eye and cut off a hand than go into hell hole. How many of us need to break down idols in our life? What is West Memphis, First Baptist Church of West Memphis, idol? Your pastor's idol, y'all's idol. What is it that needs to come and be broke down and laid at the altar today? Because if we're going to truly seek revival, we need to break down our idols. We not only need to understand that, but whether in repentance we find a restoration of the altar. See, in the process of building up the Asherahs and the bells, the Israelites had to tear down some things. They tore down their altar to God and built up an altar to the world. How many of us this morning, as we're tearing down our Ashtoreths and knocking down our idols and breaking our idols, how many of us need to rebuild that altar of our heart? Romans 12 and 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. How many of us need to rebuild the altar of our life to God? That we realize it's no longer about self, but it's about God. It's no longer about our church, it's about God. It's no longer about our jobs, it's no longer about our careers, it's no longer about money. It's no longer about anything but being faithful and serving God. If you want to see revival, church, if I want to see revival, if Macedonia wants to see revival, it's going to take us breaking down our own idols and rebuilding our heart to God. God tells us that what is acceptable to God is a broken and contrite heart, the psalmist writes. How many of us have been broken over our sin, broken over our idols, broken over our situation because we know that we're dead men and women walking? that we're on life support, and it could be so much better. He says, brothers and sisters, he said, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. See, we're good about physical worship. Awesome songs. Choir, wonderful job. Church, staying out good this morning. We're good about physical worship. We're good about reading our Bible. We're good about praying. We're good about throwing money in an offering plate. We're we're good about all those different things. Man, we're going to sing out when the preacher is there. We're going to do all physically. But if it doesn't amount to anything spiritually, what's the point in it? Amen? It's not about show. It's about having a broken and contrite heart before God. And when I sing that song, I'm singing that song to God, and I, I, that is my worship. When I give to God, I'm giving. That's my worship. When I read the Bible, when I pray, it is worship. And it's about building the heart, my altar and my heart up to God so that when I get up here, God, I'm, I'm feeling your presence and I'm feeling your spirit. The reason we don't see God moving in churches today is because people aren't giving like they're supposed to spiritually. We're not responding, church. Within repentance, we find a restoration of the altar, and with repentance, we find a resolve to serve. It's amazing what happens when one genuinely repents of their sin, because then they begin to want to serve. They start wanting to do things for God. Ephesians 2: sin says, "We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them." When we genuinely repent and we're genuinely getting things right with God, We want to start doing things for God. Not to be seen, not to be heard, not to have our name somewhere on a list somewhere of officers, but just because I love God and he loved me. So we don't serve to be saved. We serve because we are saved. And that's part of that reasonable service to the Lord. That's part of that reasonable worship to God. I I, I assure you, You look at your prayer life, your your Bible study life, your checkbook, and your service time, and you can tell where your relationship was with God in those four different areas. Are we serving him the way he served us? Because if we're genuinely repentant, we're going to want to serve. And if, and that's a big if, if we repent, God will move and send revival. But it's conditional on us and what we do. Repentance in action leads to revival. In 1 Samuel 7, 4 through 6, it says, So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. And then Samuel said, Gather all Israel and Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, If we have sinned against the Lord, and, and, and it says, And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. The nation of Israel, among reflection of their situation and being advised on what they needed to do to see revival, responded in obedience. So First Baptist Church of West Memphis... You know the situation. I know the situation in Macedonia. I know the situation all over West Tennessee. I see it every day. I mean, I pastored in West Tennessee for the last six years. I spent seven years in the Delta over in Mariano, Arkansas, and Lee, Phillips and Monroe Counties. I spent six years up in the foothills of the Ovarks. I spent a year and a half in youth ministry in central Arkansas at, at First Baptist Church of Floyd. I did collegiate ministry and youth ministry at BB First. Look, I've been all over the states. I've been all over northeast Arkansas. I've been in West Tennessee. The situation is bleak no matter where you go but are we willing to repent to change that? I tell my kids often when I get on to them and they don't necessarily like this and I'm not going to get into the whole situation of what they've done or had done because that's nobody's business. But I have more than once had to look at them and say, look, we need to have an understanding with one another. I'm not going to change. And if you want the situation to be any different, you will. Brothers and sisters, God is not going to change. And if we want the situation to be any different, we're going to have to. We've got to change. Revival calls for action. The first thing we find that the nation of Israel did is the nation of Israel confessed. The nation of Israel confessed. They, they confessed their sins. I said, look, we have sinned. We got too many people in the church today who are so heavenly minded. They're no earthly good. They walk around with their eyes up here rather than looking right here. And what I mean by that is, is they're not looking up to heaven or God. They're looking up, to, they're looking up and looking across their noses rather than just looking at people. They got this self-righteous egotism to them. They got this pride to them. They act like they're better than everybody else, that they, that they haven't sinned, that they haven't messed up. That all, look, every last person is sin. Look, I don't have to get all up in your Kool-Aid and stir it up to know your flavors, okay? I don't. I, I don't have to know what you've done wrong. I don't, I don't have to be in your business. I really don't. Because the reality of the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. And for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. So that means unless God is a liar, which I don't believe he is, if you tell me you're perfect, you're a liar. And I love the people to tell me I don't lie. You just lied right then. I've never lied, priest, you liar. You judging me. No, I'm not judging you. I'm judging what you said. You said a lie. The reality of it is none of us are Perfect. And none of us are any better than anybody else. And so, church, if we want to see revival, that means we get on our hands and knees and confess to God, I messed up, and I jacked this up. I've sinned. I've been an idiot. I'm sorry. Forgive me and help me get things right. Because me being in charge got it where it is right now. How I many of us need to go to God and be real? Not only be real with him, but be real with ourselves because we got it here. He didn't. Say, God, change me. And they confessed who they sinned against. See, here's the reality of it. When we sin, we're not sinning against our wives and our children. We're not sinning against our pastor. We're not sinning against our moms and dads. We're not sinning against our brothers and sisters. Ultimately, when it's all boiled down to it, they said we sinned against the Lord. Because at the end of the day, the one you're ultimately sinning against, because see, it's not your mom and dad's law. It's not your brother and sister's law. It's God's law. And you're transgressing the Lord's law. And at the end of the day, we have found it easy to go to a spouse and say, forgive me. We find it easy to go to our children and say, forgive me. But so when's the last time you went to the Lord and said, forgive me? We, we do these in general prayers. That's what I call them, Josh. General prayers. God, forgive me for my sins. When's the last time you just took out a sheet of paper and listed them to God? And got real with God? And said, God, I've, I've lied. I've hated. I've lusted. I've stole. And go down the list. And say, God, every one of these I sinned against you. Forgive me. And then repent of it. Don't say, forgive me today and go back and do it tomorrow. But genuinely repent of it. Genuinely go to God and tear down those Baals and those Astaroths. The nation of Israel confessed, the nation of Israel repented, and the nation of Israel rebuilt their altars. They drew their water, they poured it out before the Lord. They, they, once they tore down the old idols, they started rebuilding their altars to God. And the nation of Israel mourned. But this time they didn't mourn because God wasn't moving. This time they mourned because they realized how wretched and dark they really were. How many of us need to be broke over our sin today? How many of us need to just be broken over it? I said, and they fasted on that day. A sign of mourning. A sign of grief. They were grieved over what, it done, what they had done. They were grieved over their sin and their condition. And then the nation of Israel was bathed in prayer. Bathed in prayer. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. What we need for the church and the nation is for prayer warriors to be standing in the gap and interceding on, behalf, on the behalf of a sleepy and stiff-necked church. A sleepy and stiff-necked church. And I don't say that about FBC. I don't know you well enough to say that. I say that about the Church of God in America today. Because we're sleepy. We're stiff-necked. And you say, can you prove that? We're building more churches than we ever have in history, and yet we're declining in baptisms every single year. We have got the field of dreams mentality. If you build it, they will come. No, what we need to do is get on our hands and knees before God and let him come. Because if he comes, then they will come. The prophet Ezekiel wrote this in Ezekiel 22 and 30. Speaking with God, speaking, he says, And I sought for a man among them who who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. I wonder how many of us today have truly been praying for revival, this revival service have truly been on your hands and knees praying for a revival to sweep First Baptist Church of West Memphis, that you've been praying for a hedge of protection to be around your pastor, to be around me, to be around you as an individual of this church, to be as a member of this body and this family. I wonder how many of us have truly been praying for a hedge of protection to be around us, to build up a wall, to somebody to stand in the gap and ask God to show up and show out and to protect us from the enemy. We find in the scripture, Ezekiel here in this text, God is saying, he said, I was fix, I'm fixing to destroy Israel and Judah because of their wickedness. And I look out and I look for somebody that would stand in the gap, that would pray for them, that would pray for a hedge of protection, that would keep them safe, that would have them obedient. When I looked out, I found none. Do not let that be the testimony of church in America today. Let him at least find one of us standing in the gap praying. Amen? How many of us? How many of us need to learn to stand in the gap? I was telling Josh this. God has given me the opportunity and the privilege to to preach at least one, if not two, revivals a year for the last 11 years. And I praise God for that. But every time I go to preach a revival, something happens. We've had, I've been in a car wreck with an evangelist. Y'all, some of y'all know him, Brother Bruce Stone, dear friend of mine. He was doing a revival one time with me. We ended up T-boning a car going 60 miles an hour. Both of us in the ER. He went home. I finished the revival service at our church. We've had two dryers that have caught fire while I've been going to revivals. My wife and my kids have been in a car wreck while I've been at revivals. I've had older kids go amok while I've been at revivals. I've had all kinds of nonsense. I've had things happen to preachers and churches. It doesn't matter. We were going to do a revival at one church years ago, and the church got broke into right before we got there. One night I was in the middle of the revival, had a SWAT team with, with semi-automatics pointing at me. One night while we were at the church, they didn't realize we were down there. Wake up with SWAT team on us. This is spiritual warfare, church. How many of you have been praying? Standing in the gap. As one seeks revivals, they must understand revival does not come easy. Revival will not come easy. In verses 7 through 13, I won't read them all together. But the first thing we find is the enemy will attack. The enemy will attack. The Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Listen, Satan could care less about First Baptist Church of West Memphis. He could care less about you. He could care less about the church. He really doesn't give a rat. All he wants to do is eat you up, chew you up, swallow you, and spit you right back out. He's fearless. He's ferocious. And the church walks around thinking he's a pussycat. It's time we recognize our situation and recognize who we are at war with. Amen? We're at war. And the enemy's going to attack us. The Philistines had already beat the Israelites twice. Why were they worried about doing it a third time? Never cease praying. Never cease praying. The, Israel, the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord for us. Never cease praying, seeking God and seeking revival. The Israelites were scared. The Israelites were fearful. They like they done beat us twice. They took the Ark of the Covenant from us for seven months, for 20 years. The Ark's been here. Now we're going to have to face them again. Come on, Samuel, please pray for us. Brothers and sisters, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. Stop being cowards and stop cowering down to the attacks of the enemy. Rise up, stand up, put your shoulders back, your back straight, and your head straight up and realize you are a child of the king and soldiers in God's army. Be victorious in him and never cease to pray. For God will provide victory. The same God that delivered the Israelite out of the hands of the Egyptians was now going to deliver them out of the hands of the Philistines and the men of Israel pursued the Philistines and struck them. The same God that gave them strength in the wilderness was once again to again give them strength in battle, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines, threw them into confusion, they were defeated before Israel. The same God that did this for Israel in their time of need still brings today to victory to us today, no matter our struggles. We must remember that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he brought revival, then he can bring revival today. Remember the source of victory. You're not the source. I'm not the source. I love Brother Josh, but he's not the source. God is your source of victory. Then Samuel took a stone, set it up, called his name Ebenezer, and said, Till now the Lord has helped us. And finally must understand what is truly at the heart of revival. What is revival all about? In verse 14 we find that revival is at the heart. Or restoration is at the heart of revival. Verse 14. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. From Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. And there was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Listen church. When you drop to your knees before God, and you strip your pride, and you strip your ego, and you genuinely fall before God at the altar, and God starts moving, God will restore what the enemy stole. The enemy will steal your joy, he'll steal your peace, He'll take your family away. He'll take your wives away. He'll take your husbands away. He'll take your kids away. He'll take everything away from you. But God can restore it all. It says the cities the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. And God will restore the peace that was stolen. That's the biggest thing, is when we get caught up in our idols. We get caught up in our sin. We get caught up in our addictions. We get caught up in whatever it is between us and God. It steals our peace. It steals our joy. It steals our assurances. And the only way to get that peace, that joy, that assurance back is that right relationship with God that comes to a repentant heart. It says there was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. So I conclude with this, I cannot speak for you, but as far as for me and my house, we need revival. I wonder how many of us are absolutely honest enough today to say, we need it too, brother. We need feeding, we need upliftment, And we need restoration. What about you? What about you? Do you truly seek revival? Do you seek a closer walk with God? I do. And I can only hope that you do too. And if that's you, if you're willing to say I need revival, I challenge you. I challenge you to come to the altar this morning and join me in prayer and seeking revival. I challenge you to come in front of God and his bride and bend the knee and pray for revival. What is it going to take, church? What is it going to be, church, that sends you to the point where you realize, I need to get back to the altar and I need to pray and I need to see God's face? Do we want revival or not? That's the question. Do we really want to see God do what he did in the past, or we just want to keep on kicking the can and playing as if we want something when we really don't? What is it going to take? It starts with individuals like you and me falling before God and calling on his holy name. One last thing. You can't be revived if you've not been revived. It's hard to be something you've never been before in the first place. So I close. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? There is no greater peace, no greater assurance, no greater calmness than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't break away from your addictions without Jesus. You can't find hope and comfort and care without Jesus. This church will never see revival without Jesus. Do you know him? I'm not asking you if you play in Christian. Because look, you can lie to me, you can lie to your pastor, you can lie to your parents, your siblings. You can lie all your way up there in the top even. You can lie all day long. But one day, every one of us will give an account to God. And on that day, there won't be no lying. There won't be no, well, you know, pre- I heard that preacher, that big old preacher from West Tennessee. I saw him, but, but you know, God, I, I, I told him I was a Christian. Isn't that not? No. Because God knows your heart. And he knows his children. So we got two challenges this morning. The first challenge is for the church, that if you really want to see revival, this altar is open. The second challenge is for those that don't know Jesus, that truly need to know what it's like to be made whole and changed. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.